0: Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati, Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you check out the website, TravelingCulturati.com and don't forget to join the travel club. We are putting some final touches on our 2023 calendar and also working on our 2024 calendar. So you want to make sure that you're in the know when we're on the go for those fabulous destinations. Well, the first of the holidays are over, talking about Thanksgiving, and we're now moving on and looking toward Christmas and New Year, and then of course some other holidays in between. So we're making our plans. I'm sure you are. I know I'm making my plans for traveling home for the holidays. Uh, Of course, they say you can expect higher airfares for this Christmas and New Year period. So if you haven't already, you want to go ahead and make those plans and those arrangements before the airfares really skyrocket, because we are Back to pre-pandemic levels of travelers. And the good news is that the airlines have had a hiring boom, which means that the Thanksgiving holiday went extremely smoothly. United reported zero cancellations over the Thanksgiving holiday. And American Airlines reported 98% operation. So only 2% cancellations there. So I'm excited about that. I've got a ton more travel news for you. And today, I am so, so, so excited. I'm going to share with you some of the things that we did in New York City. Yes, our New York trip that we did in November. Fabulous time to go. And so I'm going to have on the representative or the lead ranger for the African Burial Ground Museum, and then also Stacey Toussaint, who is the founder of Inside Out Tours, and did our fabulous Black History tours of Manhattan and of Brooklyn, going to share those experiences with you, and you'll hear what some of the travelers had to say as well. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. Remember the pandemic, 2020, 2021. We started traveling again in 2021, but very sparsely. And if you wanna know where those destinations were that we traveled to the most in 2022, the earlier parts of this year since the pandemic, I have the top 10 for you. Now this is according to CNBC. So the top 10 most visited countries in 2022 so far have been Dominican Republic, Turkey, Costa Rica, Mexico, Jamaica, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Greece, Egypt, and Portugal. And I can say that we went to one of those destinations three times. So I guess they're on to something. We had three trips to Egypt. And then, of course, in the new year, as I always do, you can look forward to our travel trends for 2023. But the number one most visited country in 2022 at the top of the list that I read to you was Dominican Republic. Between January 1 and October 18, 2022, the Dominican Republic welcomed 5% more visitors than it did during the same time. In 2019, it was the most visited destination in the Caribbean, according to data from the World Tourism Organization. The Dominican Republic is most known, of course, for its year-round golf courses and some of the best all-inclusive luxury resorts in the Caribbean. Punta Cana and La Romana are the most popular places in Dominican Republic. Turkey welcomed 66% more visitors than it did during the same period in 2019. But according to the Forward Keys report, the country's tourism levels stayed the same in 2022 as in 2019. Costa Rica is the third on the list, and like Turkey, the Central American country saw the same level of tourism in 2019 as it did in 2022, and Costa Rica is known most for its amazing surf volcanoes and biodiversity. There's one more thing that Costa Rica is known for, and that is medical tourism for dentistry, so dental work, dental surgery, implants, all of that A lot of people travel there for dental surgery. A popular spot in Grand Canyon National Park has been renamed to honor the Havasupai tribe. The spot formerly known as the Indian Garden will now be called Havasupai Gardens. The change was made after the U.S. Board of Geographic Names voted unanimously to approve a formal request submitted by the NPS, or National Park Services, on behalf of the Havasupai tribe. The renamed spot sits along the Bright Angel Trail, which the NPS said is frequently visited by day hikers and backpackers. The NPS is currently working to update signs, the website, and other materials. A Rededication ceremony is planned for early spring 2023. Originally the area was called Ta'a Gio, but the Havasupai people were eventually forced out and the last resident was forcibly removed in 1928. The United States Department of State is currently recommending against travel to six states in Mexico, giving them a level four, which is do not travel advisory. Seven additional states in Mexico have been given a level three, which is reconsider travel warning. These travel advisories may give Americans pause when considering whether or not to travel or plan a trip to Mexico. But should Americans actually be concerned about these travel warnings and avoid travel to Mexico? Maybe a good question for yourself is do you go to travel.state.gov to look at the travel advisories to any destination that you're traveling to, and how does that impact your decision to travel? So do not travel advisories for Mexico. It's important to note that a level four do not travel alert is not a travel restriction. It just means that the U.S. Department of State strongly recommends against travel to a specific destination. However, Americans are still free to travel to any place on the list. So again, it's not a travel restriction. It is a recommendation. Currently, the U.S. Department of State suggests avoiding all travel to six Mexican states, Colima, Guerrero, Sinalona, Zacatecas, Tamaulipas, and Michoacan. Now, while there are certainly areas in each state that Americans would want to avoid, these are places that tourists would not be visiting in the first place. So applying a do-not-travel warning to entire states ignores that there are many places within these states that are very safe, and a lot of tourists certainly will value. And I think this is really making the news. None of these states are where the incident happened with the young lady This was American on American crime, Shancolla Robinson, but as some of the updates that we've learned over the past week, which indicates that there may have been some misinformation or incorrect information provided in the medical report and the police report and that officials granted those individuals passage to return home when they possibly should not have. So again, everything is still very fluid here. While arrest warrants have been issued, they have not named the individual that they have issued the warrant for, but because of the involvement or the possible involvement with reporting from the medical authority that was there as well as the police authority, there is some pause for concern there. So, again, Travel.state.gov will always give you, for any country that you list in, a travel advisory, one through four, with four being do not travel based on their recommendation. Again, not a travel restriction. And since travel is up, Condé Nast gave us a list of the best international airlines, and this is the 2022 Reader's Choice Awards. So as we're gearing up for the 2023 season, Number 15 is Swiss air. Number 14 is Air France. 13. British Airways. 12 KLM, Royal Dutch Airways. Hmm, I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> okay, the first non-European. Number 11 is Air New Zealand. 10 is Virgin Atlantic. Nine is Qantas. Leading up to number one, here we go. Number eight is Japan Airlines. Number seven, Cathay Pacific. Six, ANA or All Nippon Airways. Number five, Etihad Airways. Number four is Emirates Airlines. Number three, Qatar Airways. Number two, Turkish Airlines. And drumroll please. The one that's often at the top of the list is Singapore Airlines. Singapore is known for setting those records, from holding the number one spot on the Readers' Choice Awards for more than three decades. To win the title for world's longest flight, a 19-hour nonstop flight between New York and its Changi Airport hub via its fleet of all premium Airbus A350s. Now that service is resuming on that and other super long routes, flyers will again be able to enjoy what makes this airline a perennial favorite, if you will. So again, Singapore Airlines comes in number one again for three decades. Frontier Airlines, they've made a move to get rid of telephone customer service. They said that it stopped offering customer service by phone last weekend. The airline said customers can reach out by text or social media channels and WhatsApp. The shift aims to lower labor costs and to increase the number of consumers it can help. So yes, say goodbye to the airline call center, at least for Frontier Airlines, but I kind of think we're going this way for many other airlines. I hope it isn't truly so, or it takes a long time for us to get there, but this is certainly a move that Frontier Airlines is making. They were hit with a huge fine, and they're saying that this will help them pay some of that. And again, you can also communicate via email or social media or WhatsApp, but they will also have a live chat available on their website. Another change and move that airlines are making, like American Airlines, for example, is agent on demand. So, What they're really doing is expanding their system and making it more mobile and making it more electronic, which means that there could be an airport agent available in one airport, but not available in the airport where you're currently standing, but your assistance may come from there. So it's called agent on demand and they'll really just search their entire system to see where they have availability so that if it doesn't exist where you're currently located, you can still get assistance. Coming up, I'm really looking forward to our New York trip and to share that with you that we took in November. I will tell you that I learned so much on this trip, and I have been to New York numerous times, starting in my teens. I had been there, oh my goodness, I can't even count the number of times that I've visited New York, but I have to tell you that I learned so much. Black history, and things that I had missed in the many times that I had been to New York, like the scaffolding, for example, and why it's there. It's not that it's under construction all the time, but it's for protection. But the black history alone, and we just scratch the surface. Get beyond some of those standard or iconic places that you always go to. I'm not saying don't go to them all when you go there. I'm just saying expand and go beyond those and find out the history of all of the people of New York. When we come back, we'll be chatting with the African burial ground and Stacy Tucson. Founder of Inside Out Tours, and we'll talk a little bit about our New York experience. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit travelingculturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you visit the website, travelingculturati.com. Connect with me on social media. And don't forget to join that travel club because we go some fantastic places, one of which is New York City. Yes, we went to New York City recently and got a chance to visit some wonderful places. And I'd like to share our travel experiences with you. One of the places that we're visiting is the African Burial Ground National Monument. And on with me to chat about it is Emily Welch, the lead ranger at the African Burial Ground National Monument. Hello, Emily, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you so much for
0: having me. My pleasure. Now, people may be wondering, why am I talking to a ranger when I'm talking about the African Burial Ground National Monument? So how is that connection?
1: So in 2006, President George W. Bush made this a national monument. So he made it a unit of the National Park Service. The park rangers are the people that work for the National Park Service.
0: It's amazing how many historical sites are part of our national parks. I've been discovering that since I've been doing my show, which now has been more than a decade, but so many historic monuments are part of National Park Service.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's national monuments, national historical parks, like Women's Rights National Historical Park in upstate New York, which also tells another really important story. So our historical parks are no different than our other national parks and monuments.
0: And it must mean that you have an exciting job as a ranger. And I think we don't often think about the vast roles that park rangers play. We think they're always in the forest, <laughs> I think, <laughs> if you will, but that's not always the case. So, how long have you been a ranger?
1: I've been a park ranger for seven years.
0: How many different places have you been stationed?
1: Gosh, uh, about five or six now. I've been to places like Klondike Goldwash National Historical Park in Skagway, Alaska. I worked at Pu'uanua Ohonanao National Historical Park in the Big Island of Hawaii, Women's Rights that I mentioned, Whitman Mission, and the Manhattan Project in Washington State. So yeah, it's been an exciting
0: career for sure. Have any of those been in the forest?
1: Klondike Gold Rush, there was some forest and there's some bears, what you think of more traditional. We have kind of two elements there of the park where there's the small town of Skagway, which is really out of the 1800s. And then there's the sister town that you can go visit, which is in the
0: forest. I see. And do you get a chance to choose or are you assigned
1: Uh, We choose, ma'am. We apply for the jobs just like anybody would. It's not like the military where you're assigned. You apply for the specific job at the specific
0: site. So no surprises. So what led you to the African Burial Ground National Monument?
1: This was my background in, I have a bachelor's and a master's in history, and I always loved more of the untold stories of women's history and Black history. I also went to school in Charleston, South Carolina, which was the number one city for slavery. So it just made sense to study that as well, because there's so many resources in Charleston.
0: Yes. Uh, including
1: the Avery Research Center, which is a really special place.
0: Oh, fantastic. You mentioned Charleston. I'm going to go there in January for the opening of the International African American Museum there. So I'm oh, excited yes. about that. I'm very excited yes. about that. So let's talk about the African Burial Ground National Monument. What is it exactly?
1: It is a place where 15,000 free And enslaved Africans and their descendants are buried over 6.6 acres, five city blocks. So New York City, or what was called New Amsterdam under the Dutch, the early colonial residents, they called this place New Amsterdam, and they forcibly brought over African people to build the city, clear the land. And those folks were not allowed to be buried in the Caucasian cemetery. So they had their own separate burial ground.
0: So it is a burial ground. It wasn't like a mass grave. No, we don't think there's a mass grave. There's a possibility
1: that there are Revolutionary War soldiers buried there that might be unmarked or mass graves. But no, people are individually buried within coffins and most likely
0: or often burial shrouds. So when... And where and how was the site discovered or unearthed?
1: So in 1989, the General Services Administration, I'm going to call them the GSA going forward to keep it short. The GSA is part of the federal government, and they are the landlords of the federal buildings and they build the federal buildings and they purchased this property at 290 Broadway to build this 34-story building that I'm standing in today with the intention of building a four-story pavilion with a child care center where the memorial now stands. But 1966 federal law says before you build, you must make sure there's no archeological remains. And they did have the mirror plan from 1755 that said that there was a Negro burial ground Here. Now we don't think it was ever called that by those who used it. We think it was always called the African burial ground. And they were anticipating about 50 human remains because the idea was: well, the burial ground has been out of use since 1795. There's been buildings on this property since then. What are the chances of more than 50 human remains being intact? But what needed to be kept in mind is the word Manhattan. The word Manhattan comes from the Lenape, the indigenous person's word for Island of Rolling Hills, Manhattan. And those hills were leveled off in order to build buildings. And they took some of that dirt, 25 to 30 feet, and put it over the African burial ground as well as a landfill. So, as disrespectful as that was at the time, it actually preserved the African burial ground. And that is why the archaeologists would instead find 15,000 human remains. Now, I wish I could say the government was overjoyed by this discovery that they were looking to preserve the area that's not what's happening they were looking to build the building and so they were taking people and removing them from their burial sites and putting them in storage Mm -hmm. units over at Lehman College and this gets leaked to the descendant community and the descendant community are those folks that identify with the ancestors as their ancestors and they're incredibly upset. So they would protest, they would have vigils, they would get politicians involved like Mayor David Dinkins, Governor Patterson, Gus Savage. And in 1991, when this rediscovery would happen, They're pressuring the GSA to halt construction. This happens over 1991, 1992, and the whole time the General Services Administration is resisting. They are continuing to remove human remains until Congress in 1992 from pressure from the descendant community tells the GSA, well, we're not giving you any more money until you stop what you're doing and come up with a compromise with the descendant community. Now, the first compromise they proposed was, we'll take the 419 people that we've removed, and we'll re-intern them, rebury them across the street from the African Burial Ground at Foley Square, which is the tail end of the African Burial Ground, not the alleyway where they were originally found, and we'll build our building just as intended, but we'll put a plaque in that building for the ancestors. And that was considered not a very good compromise so the second compromise the government provided was the one that we have today which is a museum a memorial Artwork in the lobby of the Ted Weiss Federal Building. So when you walk into this building, you're always reminded of where you stand. And there's exhibits out there as well. And they also created an Office of Public Education and Interpretation. But unfortunately, that was housed in the World Trade Center, number six, and destroyed in the 9-11 attacks. So those were the folks that were educating thousands of people about the African burial ground prior to President George W. Bush making this a national monument in 2006.
0: Wow. So, the building was constructed, but they then, just as you mentioned, with the monument, the memorial and educational pieces. Wow. Thank you for that in-depth explanation. So, I know you said the number of people that were found or coffins, I guess, then were found. But can you speak to anything else that was found? What did they actually see?
1: There were no tombstones or anything marking names like what we would usually think of as a cemetery. Some of the burials are stacked on top of each other. Some are with family members, like mother and child. There were beads, buttons, other clothing pieces found in the burials. Top of a coffin, Burial 101, is a man's coffin, and he has a What we believe is a Sankofa symbol tacked to the top of the coffin. And Sankofa is a West African Adinkra symbol that means look to the past to build towards the future.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a
1: message we really like to convey here at the African Bay of Grand National Monument.
0: Wow. So let me go back to the other one. Were any bodies moved or they were all left in place?
1: So part of the compromise is that the 419 people that were removed when the building was being built is that they be re reburied at the actual memorial. So what they did is they had 450 coffins carved in Ghana, all with scenes of homecoming on the outside with kente cloth inside. They came in three different sizes. And what they did is they gave each ancestor a coffin and then they put them in crypts and lowered them below the seven burial mounds that you can see today. So the 419 are re there, but we also believe the 15,000 people are still intact, still buried beneath the 6.6 6 acres that make up the African burial ground itself.
0: Wow, 6.6 6 acres. And so without any headstones or anything like that was found, dare I say, then there's no registry of who they might have been? No, ma'am. And I know you said 6.6 acres. I'm trying to envision Manhattan and how vast this is and what areas it covers. Five city blocks. Wow. That is just amazing. Now, what is the time period of its existence again?
1: Approximately 1650. We're not 100% sure of the start date, but we believe it's around 1650 to 1795.
0: And I probably don't even ask this question, but what is the significance of this not only discovery, but the monument now itself, especially to New York and the United States?
1: Okay, I'm happy to answer this and in another in-depth answer if that's okay. It's a three-part answer. The first I would say is that it's nationally significant because Black history is American history. This is American history for everyone to learn who did the majority of clearing land and building the early city of New York City. It's African people and their descendants, both free and enslaved. So we want to recognize also the contributions to this great city. Secondly, the African Burial Ground National Monument is the largest and oldest excavated African burial ground in North America. So its size, scope, age is nationally significant. And may I ask you, when you think of slavery in the United States, what part of the country do you think of first? The South. I would say that's what most people think. Do you think of plantations or city urban centers?
0: Certainly the first thing that comes to mind when you think about a visual are plantations.
1: Yes, and I think that's what most Americans have taken away from their history classes and from the media. But did you know that New York City was only second to Charleston, South Carolina, in enslaved population? Forty percent of New Yorkers were enslavers in the early 1700s.
0: Did not know that. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of Virginia and, of mm -hmm. course, South Carolina. I knew, but no, not New York. Wow.
1: The other thing is that many historians prior to the rediscovery in 1991 and the study of the ancestors from 1993 to 2003 at the Cobb Laboratory in Washington, D.C., which is at Howard University, a lot of historians said, well, because we work and live so closely together in Manhattan and New York City, people must have paid more humanity toward the enslaved. Not true. How we know is that was 419 people that were studied at Howard University. What we know is that their teeth and bones show malnourishment, not enough food. We can see arthritis, early aging, disease, early death. The average age of burial is 22 years old, with 40% being children under the age of 16. The majority of those children being two and under. So essentially this whitewashing of Northern history, the idea that because abolition happened in the North, because the Civil War was fought on the right side in the North, that they must have been the good guys in history. But that is not fair to the thousands of enslaved individuals, or the hundreds of years of slavery that existed in New York City. So the course correction of history was provided by the archaeology and the discovery of the African burial ground, which is nationally significant.
0: Wow. Yeah, I never knew. 40% of New York had enslaved individuals. I did not know that, but only second to Charleston, South Carolina. No, we always think of south of the Mason Dixon line, right? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, and I think you're absolutely correct, it's really a disservice and the whitewashing of North American history, especially as it pertains to the unfortunate act of slavery. So, what is available to visit today?
1: We have different things available during different times of year. What we have is a really wonderful tactile kinesthetic museum where you can touch most things. So we have a a 2,000 square feet of museum exhibits and a park film, which is called Our Time at Last. If you don't have a chance to watch it here in our theater, you can catch it on our website. You have artwork in the lobby of the Ted Weiss Federal Building, which was part of, remember, that compromise with the descendant community. We have some beautiful and really thoughtful pieces of artwork. There's the Outdoor Memorial, which has the national monument there, which is really spectacular, created by Rodney Leon. He won a a competition to design that monument. And we also provide tours. And you can go to recreation.gov in order to make a reservation. And you can have a ranger lead you through the memorial and the museum.
0: Fantastic. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sure everyone's just going to want to visit the African Burial Ground National Monument. And thank you so much for all of the history you've imparted today as well.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to represent the African Burial Ground National Monument today. And I encourage everybody to come visit us. We're open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. A lot of people don't really think about New York and Black history, but there's a wealth of Black history in New York. And joining me today is Stacey Toussaint. She's founder and president of Inside Out Tours, a company that specializes in tours, events, and classes with themes related to hidden history, diversity and inclusion, team building, and an immersive cultural exploration. Well, hello, Stacey, and welcome to Traveling Culturati.
2: Hello. Very honored to be here. Yes. And I'm excited
0: about New York. And I always love going places and finding the unexpected. (laughs) That's one of the things that I love to do, because you know what? People think of New York as nightlife and theater, the U.S. Open, the city that never sleeps, all of these things. But Black history isn't the first thing that comes to mind.
2: Yeah, what's wonderful about New York is that there's been a Black presence in New York since 1626. And African Americans were actually instrumental in forming the infrastructure of New Amsterdam, which is what New York used to be called when it was under the Dutch.
0: You know, it's kind of like things that you know, but are not top of mind. <laughs> you know right. what I mean when it comes to history? Sometimes we get things buried. But I understand that you have a background in business law and academia. What led you to travel and tourism?
2: So prior to starting Inside Out Tours, I was working as a securities lawyer, and commercial litigator, but my passion had always been travel. And one of the things I loved about travel was just coming to the understanding of different cultures, their art and food and their history. And I just realized that I lived in one of the greatest cities in the world but really felt like the diversity of the city wasn't being explored properly through the tourism industry. So that's when me, along with a childhood friend, decided to start Inside Out Tools.
0: To your point, it's an issue, I think, in travel and tourism at large, that the full history is not being told wherever
2: you go. So you gave me the why of starting Inside Out Tours, but when did you start exactly? So we started back in 2009. Me and my friend Sheila, we ended up getting a business plan, entering into a local business plan competition called Power Up, which is done by the Brooklyn Public Library. And we won that competition, which gave us our seed money to start the company.
0: What differentiates Inside Out Tours from other tour companies?
2: Well, I think just in terms of what we do, it's that we have a social mission and the social mission is to amplify the voice of marginalized populations. As we look at New York history, we consider all the different groups of people that contributed to making this into a great city, and we tell their stories.
0: And I think that's so much needed. Again, telling these full stories, I mean, and not just here in the United States, but when I travel globally, we're only getting one aspect of the story. And it's basically European history. Even when you go outside of Europe, you seem to only get European history. And so it's very much needed to have the diversity in, in the storytelling, in the history, in the people, places and things. What are some of the main Black history sites in New York?
2: So when you think about the way the African American community was grouped, you have three regions that were part of early African American history. And then of course, people spread out to other places. But if you're talking about the early history, it started in lower Manhattan, but you wouldn't think because there aren't Black communities in lower Manhattan anymore, but there are historical reasons for that, including them being driven out of lower Manhattan. Sometimes through the use of eminent domain and other times through just outright violence. Those communities were decimated. Then again, thinking about early New York, of course, you have places like Seneca Village, which used to be where... Central Park is now located, again, removed through the use of eminent domain, the government seizing land ostensibly for a public purpose. And then, of course, then you have the Blacks of Brooklyn. Blacks have been in Brooklyn since at least the 1630s and have established communities there. And then the other location would be Harlem. So in terms of the major Black centers, especially with their early history, I would start with those neighborhoods. But of course, then we also have other amazing neighborhoods, including Sandy Ground in Staten Island, as well as in Queens. There are various Black neighborhoods that have been here.
0: And who's taking your tours? One thing that I'm always interested in, who's taking the tours? Who has the extra, I would say, interest in a more diversified history of a city?
2: So as a company, we offer daily scheduled tours, which we call FIT tours. So those individual or a small group can come. The people who are taking those tours are actually global. So we are one of just a handful of Black-owned, receptive tour operators in the entire country, which means we offer in New York itineraries for everyone around the world, as well as being able to schedule activities and hotels and all of that. As a result, we do have a global audience for our daily tours. For our group tours, we tend to find that it is African-American groups, as well as progressive groups, as well as school groups that tend to be interested in the history that we're offering.
0: Well, one of the reasons I started my company is because of group tours, because African Americans love group tours. And I think one of the things when I talk to some of my travelers, it is that camaraderie and that kinship and not feeling like you're in a fishbowl when you're joining another tour group or a scheduled tour, as you said, and you're the only African American person, you just feel a little like a fish out of water sometimes, um, mm-hmm. or like in a fishbowl. And that's one of the reasons that African Americans do like to travel in groups, not that everybody does, because we're just as a diverse a group in travel as any other group would be as well. What are mm-hmm. some of the reactions you get from those who take your tours, especially those coming from other countries?
2: So because we do hidden history, people take our tours for a number of reasons. Some who are not maybe of the particular group that we're talking about, the particular racial ethnic group, they may just be curious about history from the perspective of the community, history from the perspective of groups that you usually don't hear. For people who do belong to the group, so for example, if we have an African-American topic, some of it is really just this thirst to learn the true history. When you are left out of history, it does reduce your sense of belonging. And intuitively, you know that you are part of the story, but when your part of the story is not being told, it's a very alienating experience. So, the reactions that we get from people coming from that perspective is just the sense of relief that finally someone's telling these stories and the sense of gratitude, actually in the sense that they've wanted this for a while, and now they finally found it. They found a place where they're talking about Black contribution. And so this is something that I think can be really life-changing for people.
0: What about those who are not Black or African-American or African descent, how do they receive the information or react to the history?
2: We do everything from sort of iconic New York from an inclusive perspective to really specialized topic like our slavery and underground railroads. If it's a really specialized topic, especially dealing with a challenging issue, they're very emotionally moved. And you know, I've definitely had people approach me and you see their eyes are teary. They just did not understand or realize the extent to which these systems existed in a place like New York. But I always try to emphasize the stories of triumph while not running away from the hard facts. I like to talk about the people who are involved in resistance. I like to talk about the allies that, you know, when they say, oh, he was a man of his time, that's why he enslaved people. I like to point out the people who are actually doing the right thing. And I find this approach actually gives people hope because obviously no one can go back in time and change this, but there's lots of stuff going on today that can be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I approach history as a tool for helping us understand our present and also hopefully inspiring others to do their part in their generics.
0: What are some of those hidden or lesser known historical spots?
2: For example, in our slavery tour, we go to the site of the executions related to the 1741 slave revolt. A lot of people don't even know that happened in New York, that there were like two slave revolts we tell the story of that resistance. You go to places like the African Burial Ground, although it's a national park, a lot of people don't even know it's there. We go to former sites on the Underground Railroad, so people, again, not realizing that these things exist. And then in terms of just the storytelling itself, we'll take you to places like where Seneca Village used to be, now just marked with signs, and tell about the mutual aid societies that were in existence, the businesses, the newspapers, There's so much inspiration to be found in those who came before us because they were extremely creative with very little resources and extremely brave. And so, you know, you can use storytelling to help inspire people to think, "Okay, if these people were able to resist, were able to create these amazing businesses and institutions with so little resources, what can I do if they were able to make networks with each other? Maybe let me look at my social circle and who can I network with to work together towards a good And that's the gift that we've received from our ancestors. And so being able to tell those stories helps people young and old to understand the legacy that they're part of.
0: When we come back, I'll have the culture report. I'm Javon Harley, the Traveling Culturati on Sirius XM 141, HUR Voices. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you check out the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and make sure you follow us on social media and join that travel club. Why? Because we go some fantastic places, one of which is New York. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, food, music, and sometimes politics and strife. This is The Culture Report. A lot of people don't really think about New York and Black history, but there's a wealth of Black history in New York. And joining me today is Stacey Toussaint. She's founder and president of Inside Out Tours, a company that specializes in tours, events, and classes with themes related to hidden history, diversity and inclusion, team building, and an immersive cultural exploration.
2: Hello, very honored to be here.
0: One of the things I'm really looking forward to, because I spent a lot of time in Harlem as we were having a conversation before we started. Having family in Harlem, spending a lot of time there, but I haven't spent much time in Brooklyn, so I'm really excited about our adventure that's going to take us to Brooklyn, especially because I'm a huge foodie, and I think that a cultural aspect always takes you on a journey through food, and food is such an integral part of our culture, so I'm really looking forward to that. Without giving away all of the secrets, what can we expect?
2: So what we tried to do was highlight foods from the different part of the African diaspora in Brooklyn. So we're going to have a tasting of African food, tasting related to Caribbean food, and also related to obviously African Americans. So as we go and we explore different neighborhoods and tell the history of the Blacks in Brooklyn. So that is the overview of what you can expect on our tour.
0: And I also have on today one of the park rangers for the African Burial Ground. And I've never visited the site. So I'm really looking forward to that and excited about that too. And folks, I'm going to do some live to tape recordings of us while we're there, some of the travelers as we experience it. But I wanted to have Stacy on and I wanted to have the lead ranger on from the African Burial Ground National Monument so that we can have an uninterrupted interview because it's kind of hard to do it live and from the field, but we're going to get some of our reactions while we're there. And Stacy, I'm so excited and I really can't wait to have this experience with you. So in closing, one of the things that in your introduction of team building, immersive cultural exploration, what other kind of programs are you working on?
2: So we have both in-person and virtual experiences. During COVID, my husband, Derek, and I created 360 degree virtual tours, which allow us actually to tell more history in that we're able to cover the entire city. So that's something that we've been sort of expanding in terms of letting people know that that's an option. These days, some people are still either in a hybrid situation or fully remote, or perhaps they have just very limited time. So a virtual experience is best for them. In addition to that, we just launched a nonprofit called Teach for Freedom, And we launched that to address all the things that we can't do as a for-profit. For example, one of our objectives is going to be to diversify the historical markers in the city. Unfortunately, New York, like many other cities, in terms of its historical markers, does not reflect the diversity of the city. And so part of what we're going to be doing is looking to make sure either signage or some sort of markers are put in place to reflect just the amazing things done by all New Yorkers and not just with the focus on what's been done by white men, which is the majority of the historical market. In addition to that, we are going to be working to diversify tourism. As you mentioned earlier, this is not a diverse industry at all when you look at leadership and ownership. And so since we've been training people in various aspects of the tourism industry through our receptive tour operator, we now want to focus on bringing in vulnerable populations that are underrepresented in tourism. So that's also going to be part of the focus of the nonprofit, as well as just providing education related to diversity and inclusion in the context of tourism as well.
0: All of that is just fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to seeing all of that come to fruition and looking forward to returning to New York again and and again and again, as you roll out all of these things and very much needed in every aspect that you're talking about. So again, I'm talking to Stacey Toussaint, founder and president of Inside Out Tours. Thank you so much for joining me today. What's the website for Inside Out Tours.
2: Absolutely. So our website is www.insideouttours.com. Very easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Insideouttours.com.
2: Make sure you check it out and make sure the next
0: time you visit New York that you take one of the tours and really explore New York to its fullest. Yes, it's still the place for theater. It's still the place for nightlife and the US Open and all of these things. But there's some hidden gems there. And there's an opportunity for you to get the full story. So make sure you check them out again, InsideOutTours.com. Again, Stacy. thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Javon Harley here with Traveling
0: Culturati and Advantage International. We're with Inside Out Tours and we're having a fabulous time here in New York City
2: with Ludi. Hi! My name is Ludi Minaya and I'm from Inside Out Tours and we are doing the Slavery and Underground Railroad
0: Tour today.
2: So we're
1: out on a beautiful fall day in New York City and
2: we hope you could join us one day. Welcome to New York City!
3: (laughs) My name is Renee. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I have family that lives in Maryland. My grandmother was born here. And for as many times as I've been to New York, I've never known the history It's so enriching to know what what happened, how history began. It's very enlightening, and it's something that you need to do to know your history. I thank you, Advantage International, for enlightening my life, and it's something that is needed in everyone's life that you should do. Definitely. Hey everybody, this is Debbie from Chicago, Mountain Advantage of the International. We're doing a black history tour. It's awesome. I'm really loving this trip to New York. I'm learning so much about the African American history. I didn't know that slavery existed in New York, but as our tour guide is telling us, it was very prevalent here and it's a very eye-opening experience. And I love it. I love New York. Hi, this is Rose and Ken Harris from Chicago, Illinois. We're here with Advantage International and the In-N-Out Tour, going around New York, seeing these fabulous, iconic places in New York and just having a fabulous time. Join the history of being presented. There's a lot of history here in New York. And just thank you for our vanity international and the In-N-Out tour. Hi, I'm Beverly Hooker. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And I've traveled with the Bronx for many years. It's always a great trip, no matter where we've gone, and particularly our international. This time we are in New York. We were doing Manhattan. and Now we're in Brooklyn. We are at this restaurant, our market. The food is extremely good, the rice very spicy, but it's still very good. The interesting things that they're telling us about the African history that we didn't know about, or you haven't got the complete history of things, particularly in this particular city. Uh, don't hear a lot about New York as far as when they talk about uh, African history, African American history. Seems to be we hear more about the South, but not nearly as so much about the North, as well as the same things that was happening in the South happened in the North also going back in many years that's a, a situation thing with our history. We're not telling it, and divine always tends to have it where we're telling our history, so we're getting a better version, what I think is a truer version of, what, of things that have been going on in the world concerning us. This is one reason why I travel with her as much as I can, as long as I have. I think we've been traveling together probably about 20 years now, because that she brings that different spin. Even though I line with other people in other places, I never get the same experience that I do with Javon and in our Advanced International. And of course, she's here with our Dean, but we miss Dean also, her husband, and works with her. So this has been great. And I try to share all the experiences and times I've had with her with the newer people who come on the trip. Because they don't have an expectation yet, so I let them know. This is what you can expect. And so far, everyone has been very pleased and, and grateful of the camaraderie that we have with everybody and we talk and try to share our experiences well, uh, the experience with her. I am on a food tasting in Brooklyn, and I am enjoying this beef daddy pie. It's delicious. Loving the tasting, loving the joy. Ladies and gentlemen.